This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's pray. Would you join me in praying? (sighs) Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you're here. We thank you, Lord, that whatever brought us here this morning, um, whether we were eager and excited or whether we barely could get out of bed, we thank you, Lord, that you want to meet us here in this place. We thank you that you're present, and whenever you are present, we can read from the scripture, whenever you are present, things change. You alone have the ability to change hearts. You alone have the ability to really move minds and cause eyes to see beyond the physical realm to what could be. And so we thank you, God, that you've brought us here, not just to sing songs, not just to hear from a book, Lord, but because you're living and because you're powerful, you brought us here to change us, to strengthen those that their hands are falling to the side, to encourage those that are are doing well and everything in between, whatever season we're in that we've walked in, whatever mess that we've um, come to these doors with, Lord, we want to leave it aside for right now. And we want to ask you to meet us because you're faithful to meet us and you alone can meet us in that place where no one else could. So we thank you that you're working and that you desire to work. And we just pray that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, let me get a couple practicals out of the way before we... Um, first service. Man, they really went for the bookmarks. So there's a few bookmarks left. These, there's, it's, not for all, it's not all of the kids. It's just like a small sample of the kids. Um, actually, my brother back there, he has Bibles. Does anyone need a Bible? And he can hand those out while I'm talking. No, no, no. Okay, there's one right there. Okay, sweet. Um, the idea with these bookmarks is to actually engage, you know, Tim was talking earlier about praying for kids and families and teachers. Um, it's a way that you can co-labor with us in the work of praying for these kids. I know as a father that I would love that 10 people in the church pray for my kids individually. That would be rad to pray for their salvation, to pray for their protection, to pray for the things that God wants to do in their life. Um, So there are a few of these left. I will try and send some to the church or we can work it out, but um, try and get some if you would like more. But if you want, and there's some left, you can put them in your Bible, put them on your fridge, and I just ask you to pray. Because we're in this together. We don't look at it as like, oh, we're the other ones doing it. It's like, you know, Paul said to the church in Corinth that some plant, some water, but the Lord causes the increase. So we all have a part to play um, in, in the work that the Lord is doing, not only in this church, in this community, in this nation, but globally. <laughs> Second thing is, um, I wanted to thank you guys for your continued support of our family, um, practically listening, praying. Um, A lot of you guys 
have walked with us or, you know, some of you guys' familiar faces have known about our adoption process. Um, thankfully, can you throw the picture up of my family? Grant? That's my family. My, my wife's here. Yeah. And my kids are here as well. Um, our, our adoption process um, took 963 days, to be exact. Um, but it was, it was hard. And so we know that the Lord sustained us through the prayers and the encouragement of the body of Christ and you guys supporting us through that. So we just, as a family, as a Havilar family, wanted to say thank you. It means a lot because whether it's your own flesh, whether it's the enemy, um, it's easy to get pulled apart, doubt yourself, all of the other things that are in between. That's not only serving the Lord in ministry, but also as it goes with pursuing something that you know is the Lord's heart. And with that being said, um, funny story. So Tim mentioned relationships and 2004 and us digging trenches. And yes, he was a little mopey because he missed his wife-to-be. Um, no, I drove them down to Split when they first moved to Split, Croatia. And um, then, yeah, have been connected to Tim and Grace through the years. And also Argo, who you saw in the video, he and his wife, Rachel, we also all were at the Bible College in Hungary. And at that time, it was in a village of like a thousand people. So we all got connected all throughout the world, not knowing what God would call us to in the future, but stepping out in obedience in that, in that season. And now we look back and can see God's faithfulness. I'm so thankful the older I get in the Lord and the more I walk with him for people that continue to follow Jesus. You know, I, I had a buddy, he was like, hey, I don't know what the Lord, he was an intern before and I was on staff in Hungary for four years and he was, he's here now and he feels kind of like, not at this church, but another one. And he's like, man, Sean, I don't know. I don't know, like, I don't feel like I'm being faithful. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm like, dude, you're following Jesus. Like the older I get, I want to see you just follow the Lord. It doesn't matter the role, the position, how you're doing that. Like just engage with the Lord. He'll, he'll work all those things out in his timing. Just follow Jesus. And so I treasure those relationships and those friendships. And so we're serving out there with them. We've been out in Ethiopia for the last six years. And so people ask, what do you do there? And we do whatever an uncle and an aunt do. So it used to be more changing of diapers and, you know, fixing things and things like that. Um, as it's grown to now like about 85 kids between three homes, there's a little bit more admin. Um, some of you guys have not only have supported our family, but specifically supported the ministry, specifically, you know, sponsor kids or have prayed for kids, um, have come out on teams. So again, collectively, on behalf of Argo and Rachel and all the kids, thank you. Okay, now that that's out of the way, this, this morning I want, if you would turn to Mark chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45. And um, this morning I want to talk about chapters. You know, all of us are in the middle of a story. Um, sometimes there's been chapters in my life that I've written. There's chapters in your life that you've written. There's chapters that have been written for you by others, whether that is in a good way or a bad way. And those things shaped 
the present and they have the ability to shape the future without the Lord's intervention. Okay? But we know that God wants to write our stories, that he has a purpose and a plan for each of our lives in this room. Not just whoever's on the stage or whoever's playing guitar, but each of you in this room, God has a purpose and a plan for. He has a story that he wants to write uniquely through your life to the glory of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so because of that, we all go through different chapters. As I prayed, you know, some of you guys are going through a chapter of transition. Some of you guys are going through a chapter of difficulty in the valley. Some of you guys are like, I'm doing great. I'm on the mountaintop. Don't bring me down. So whatever chapter you're in, the, the story is not finished. Because you know why? You and I still have a heartbeat. You and I still have breath in our lungs. So the story is still being written. So we are all in the middle of a chapter of his story. But we don't, how it, that's all playing out is different. And I want to talk about um, the chapter in the disciples' story. Because often we see the apostolic side of them when they became the apostles and the Holy Spirit came down and they're healing people and thousands of people are getting saved. But they were ordinary people like you and me. And they still were ordinary up until they went to be with their Lord. Okay? But what I want is, I want you to see like in, as we read through the Gospels or as if, if you haven't read through the Gospels before, I want to tell you there are kind of groups of people, generally speaking, there are the critics of Jesus, those that would hang out to seek to find something wrong, to doubt something about this Nazarene carpenter named Jesus Christ, named Jesus. Sorry, they didn't believe he was the Christ. So they would be there to criticize and to doubt. Then you would have the multitudes, which are kind of curious, you know, if, if, it was social, if it was, social media existed in that day, there would be a lot of hashtags about this Nazarene carpenter, this Jesus, right? People would go and they would, oh, I'm curious. I want to see what he's going to do. And then you have the disciples, those who would follow. And in some way, in this room, that's, we're kind of one of those in one of those groups, okay? We're either kind of critical. I don't know if God really wants to work. I don't know if I really believe he's, he's enough. We're on the, the kind of curious side. I'm, I want to do good. I want to be good in my family, good in the community. So maybe I'll, I'll go to church and kind of see what this whole Jesus thing is about. Or you're a follower. And so specifically, I want to talk about the follower. But I, I, I want to say, too, that Jesus wants to work in all of those people. He wants to work in all of us here. So let's turn to Mark 6. And we're going to read from verses 45 to 52. Okay, Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. Read along with me. It says, in comic book form, like the Gospel of Mark is, immediately, immediately he, being Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. 
And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. I want to give you guys a little bit of a backstory to this text that we're in because it's super important to, as we kind of put ourselves in the sandals of the disciples. Okay, So the feeding of the 5,000 just happened. For those of you guys that don't know, Jesus fed 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fishes. And he used his disciples to do that. Now, all of the events of the feeding of the 5,000 and up until this point when they're crossing the sea and straining out rowing, that's kind of like the same period of time. It's not multiple days. It's the same day. So we know from the, from the text in Mark 6 that it was at the end of the daytime that the disciples were saying, I'm paraphrasing, hey, Jesus, these guys are probably hungry. There's no drive throughs or Uber to bring them food or anything like that. They got to go get something to eat. And we know from John's account, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they brought whatever little they had. He blessed it, broke it, and multiplied it. And as they were to kind of assign them in groups, and as they were to be, the disciples were to be used to distribute those things out, as their hand went in the basket, more would be in there. Hand went in the basket, and the more they gave, the more was in. The more they gave, the more was in over and over again, until all the people were fed. And then as a matter of fact, Jesus said, hey guys, you guys are the cleanup crew, so I'd like you to pick up the 12 baskets of fragments, one for each of you. No, so the, he, he not only fed the 5,000 plus, but there was enough left over, and so they were part of the miracle. They were part of this miracle. And now, after cleaning up, doing ministry, cleaning up, Jesus says, okay, now you guys get in a boat and go to the other side. Okay. So the first thing I want us to notice about Jesus and about the humanity of our friends, the disciples, okay, the first thing I want you to notice is in verse 45 and 46, he sends them. Okay? It's very important. As a disciple, God sends you to someone, to somewhere, to something. Okay? Never away from himself right? But in this physical context, he's sending them. And what are they doing? Obeying, right? Okay, A plus B must equal C. Now, there's a thought process that exists in me and exists among many Christians where we say, God says something, we do it, it'll be good. It'll be easy. It'll be smooth, because clearly it's Jesus, the creator of the universe, that's asking me to do it. But here in our text, we read that it wasn't easy, right? But who sent them? Jesus. Who had the plan? Jesus. Who's good? Jesus. Okay. Glad you're with me. All right. So we're there. So then it continues in saying in 47... Going up to verse 47, 
that he saw them, he saw their condition, and it tells us a little bit of a glimpse of what time it was. The fourth watch of the night was about 3 a.m. How many of you guys like to go rowing at 3 a.m.? Anybody? And in other texts, because the parallel texts are in Matthew and John, it tells us that it was about three or four miles, right? So they're three or four miles. It's about eight miles across. They're right dead in the middle, smack in the middle, and they are just rowing. They are rowing. And are they rowing on a smooth lake? No. They're rowing with opposition against them. They're rowing with the wind contrary to them. So every time they row... Every gust comes against them. Every time they row, the gust comes against them. But wait, they're doing what Jesus told them to do. They're focusing on the other side, which is where Jesus called them to. And now they're stuck in the middle of the sea, alone in the dark. I heard it said on this uh, 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 teaching on this text where it's, it's not only a physical exhaustion, It's an emotional exhaustion, right? Mental exhaustion. Guys, you know, what kind of conversations were probably going on with a bunch of tired disciples? Okay, I put 12 of you in a boat at 3 a.m. and the boat's not moving anywhere. What kind of conversations are happening, right? Okay, we have a zealot who's one of the disciples who's patriotic, anti-Rome, and we have a tax collector who's a turncoat. What's that conversation going to be like for hours, right? So, and then you have fishermen, you have this whole mixed bag of ordinary dudes that the Lord's using. And so they're sitting there and straining, and they're tired. And this text has really, um, the Lord's used this text a lot in my, in our own journey, in our own chapters, because we came out of the chapter of, as I mentioned, the the adoption process. And um, there was points I don't do well with fake, so I'm going to be real with you. There was points where I'm like having this little argument with the Lord about, Lord, this is your heart. I, I, like, I know you've called us to do this, but literally every resource and aspect of our being is exhausted. We've had so many no's that I don't understand why you're bringing us through this. And those questions, in, as those questions come up, or as the Lord's arguing, which some people say, you shouldn't argue with the Lord. You know what? He's not afraid of our whatever we say. He actually knows it about us, whether we say it or not. So I just say it to him. And so um, I remember at our lowest point, in my moment of straining at rowing, in the dark and alone, like with the story we've read here, um, I'm like, I'm done. It's like, if this is how it is, like, I don't even know if I want to, like, like what to do anymore. Like, because we love these kids. We, um, both of the kids, you know, grew, we've seen them grow. They came in as abandoned newborns. So we've seen them their whole life grow up. Like, we've developed this. But it's like, it's like, I, I told my wife one time at a restaurant, it's like when you have, we, we, there's, when you're window shopping, right? Um, but, hold on, let me back up, rewind. We were at a restaurant. This is where it was, right, honey? And there was this little kid, and it was, sorry, it was kind of funny. He ran into the glass because he saw his mom. It was like he saw his mom in the restaurant, and he didn't hurt himself. He wasn't bleeding, so it's okay. But he literally saw his mom, and he ran into the glass because he didn't know that there was glass there. 
And I was told Megan, like my wife, I said, that's, that's kind of how I feel. I feel like they're just on the other side. Like I can see them. Or it's like if you were to put like a womb and it was glass and you could see the baby growing and everything developing, but you can't grab it. Like you can't hold it. And it's like torturous almost. And I said, um, Lord, I, I, I don't know. I was bawling. Where we live is six hours from the capital city of Addis Ababa where a lot of the, the processes had to take place. So I'm sitting in a hotel room. My wife's down in Owasa with our oldest two, older two kids. I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm spent. I got nothing. And then a buddy of mine, he, um, he didn't know any of this. There was a song I listened to quite a bit that was actually, he, he was a worship leader. He's now pastoring. But a mutual friend of ours had passed away. And he, he wrote it for that friend. And he played it at the memorial. And that song, like, kind of gave me the little uh, to keep going. I don't know if you guys have had that. Like, it can be something small or, I don't know, just that reminder, that thing. And so he sent me a video that night, not knowing any of this, not knowing where we were at. And he, he played this, uh, you know, some songs of worship. And I remember just sitting in my bed listening. And then what song does he play as the last song? That song, right? Coincidence? No. The Lord just like washed me. Like seriously, he like washed my feet through that song. And just because he didn't know. And that's, that's what I mean about like the body of Christ engaging, right? Or like not knowing how they're being used. You don't know how God wants to use you in another person's life. But I'll read you a few lyrics to this song. Um, and it, it still ministers to me, but it's funny being on this side where that chapter's close. Because when you're in it, it feels like the most impossible thing to face. Like, Lord, you did it then, but I don't know if you can do it now. And um, it says in this song, I'm going to read the lyrics. I won't sing it. Um, it says, when, when everything comes to nothing, and nothing is all that I can see, when I've given up on hoping, Jesus, you will never give up on me. In my failures, in my weakness, in the midst of my defeat, when my heart is prone to wander, Jesus, you will never walk away from me. And even in the valley of death, whew, sorry, that was like wind. When my questions never cease, and in my anger when I turn away, Jesus, you will never turn away from me. And the chorus says, because you are greater than I know. Your love carries the broken home. And everything I need is never very far. Because everything I need, Jesus, you are. And it's, it's still, it resonates even still. From a different perspective and from a different chapter. But the Lord knows how to meet us when we are at the end of ourself. And I think that's what's going on in our text. The disciples are at the end. Like, what are you going to do when you're in the middle of the sea? You're going to swim another three, four miles at 4 a.m., 3 a.m. with wind contrary to you? You're just going to swim and it's just going to blow you back, right? At the end, nothing left. And it says, Jesus saw them. Now, I don't, I don't know how you read the text. As I read the text, it's not like, we want it to be where Jesus sees and he's like running out to them. 
It's like he sees. Okay, 3 a.m., I'm going to start walking out there to them. It is cool. It's not cool when you're going through it, though. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. No, it, it is. It, absolutely. But he, it, you know, so he sent them, he saw them, and then he came. And there's that funny part where it's like, and he would have passed them by. He would have passed them by. You know, in, in, in multiple texts or multiple accounts of this section, it says that they think it's a ghost. Now, everything about this scenario, I think, for the disciples is not meeting their expectation. Not meeting that expectation that if I obey Jesus, then something like is going to be good. Not meeting the expectation of Jesus is miraculously walking to me on the sea. Okay? So none of it is meeting, like it's not rhyming in their head. It's not jiving. Like, how does this work? But Jesus knows that. He knows that. He knows that when we're in the middle of our lake, in our sea, in our circumstance, and in the darkness, and we're exhausted and we're at the end, he knows. He knows. He sees and he comes. He doesn't go and choose a new crop of 12, which maybe some of us would do that. Maybe I would. Like, okay, those guys, they're weak at rowing. Leave them alone. I'm going to choose a new 12. No. He goes out to them. He knew what they would do. And he also knows what takes them and us to our breaking point when we have nothing left, when we have to completely rely on him. I don't know how long, I don't know if you guys have served the Lord in any capacity, like following him, doing ministry, or maybe you've gone through a season where you're like, man, I did that. But there's a point where the disciples could easily say, yeah, the miracle works for those people, those 5,000, but clearly the miracle doesn't work for me. Yeah, the miracle works for those, like those people here ripping Bible study, but it doesn't really work for me. That's good for them. That's good for them, but then there's me, right? Anybody ever think like that? Okay. So at this point, they had seen the miracle, but we'll get to 52, little teaser, they still didn't understand. So again, he sent them, he saw them, he came, they were exhausted, they obeyed, they were exhausted, they were at the end of themselves, in the dark, in the middle of the night, with wind against them. And in verses 49 to 50, it tells us that he walked to them and he spoke. And I want you to, we might say, that's great for the disciples, but I don't hear Jesus' audible voice. But, you know, Jesus gave us this, and he speaks. And you know what? It's funny about our flesh. Our flesh wants to do everything we can, even Christian subculture, but run to this. Our flesh wants to find a way, some other way to circumvent, and I know the enemy wants to add gasoline to that, to not go to his word. But here, it's not like the disciples are saying, crying out to Jesus, Jesus, come and talk to me. He went to them. He was the one that was intentional and spoke. And I think the same is with us. If we open this, this always makes God bigger. It doesn't make God smaller. But the people in my life, the circumstances, the culture, the TV, everything else can make God right? 
But the word of God tells you and I who God is. It reminds us that he's faithful. And one of the things that he says, there's three things he says to them as he speaks. He says, be of good cheer, exclamation point in my Bible. Be of good cheer. Or another translation might say, take courage. Okay? And then it's bookended at the end by don't be afraid. But what's the most critical element in what he says there? It's me. I'm here. I'm present. I'm present with you in the storm. You think you're alone. You may feel you're alone. But I'm here right here with you in your mess, in your storm. So because I'm here, you can take courage. Because I'm here, Jesus would say, don't be afraid. Okay? And sometimes you might hear it like this because our upbringing, where, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. That's what we might say. Like, how can you guys be afraid like this? That's not the tone I, I, I read there. Like, the be of good cheer is like, be of good cheer. It's me. I'm here. Okay? Now, this is in the midst of them being afraid, like, oh, it's a ghost. Do you remember another time they thought Jesus was a ghost? Resurrection, right? They got the fridge and everything else against the door, like, we're next, right? And he's like, peace, I'm here, peace. Come in touch, come on, I'm here. So his presence, his presence is super important as we go through our trials, as we go through our storms. That has encouraged me, whether it's his presence through people praying for us, whether it's just a verse shared, on the field, whether it's um, just own time in the word, because my circumstances at that moment seem, or our circumstances can seem more real, more active. Like, God, you did it then, but I don't know if you can do it now. You did it for those people, but I don't know if you're going to do it for me. And when we cry out, when we're complaining or when we're struggling, Oftentimes, the heart behind all that, and Jesus knows it, so let's just say it, is, I don't know if you're good. Like, I don't know if you know what you're doing, Jesus. And he's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of that realness. Remember, in the garden, they were like naked and unashamed, right? And then they decided to cover themselves after the fall. Then they decided, I'm not, hold on, I'm going to say this for the recording, I'm not a proponent of running around naked in public, okay? <laughs> now, I'm just saying that there was, there was no shame. There was no hiding, right? And so he knows those things about us. He knew those things about them. He knew that they were going to be afraid, that they would think it's a ghost. Um, and, he's, and he says, take courage. I'm here. I'm present. Again, none of this is what they expected. But I think part of it is this, guys, too. And I think that's sometimes why he takes us to the end of ourselves. Because he wants to prove himself again to us that he's the Lord. He's not just some Jewish carpenter. He's not just some moral teacher. He's not a miracle worker for other people. In other accounts, it says they worshipped him after this. They said, truly, this is the Lord. Which tells me, Maybe they were like, yeah, he's a, he's a miracle worker. That's good. He's a good teacher. Man, we left everything to follow this guy. And now it's like, no, he's not a guy. He's the Lord. And I think that's the thing about, like I mentioned, those three groups, right? 
the one like the critics, the Pharisees, the religious group, like right, trying to find fault in Jesus, trying to find fault in his love and his grace and his working. Then you have the the, the multitudes, the big groups that are super curious, and then you have the disciples. You know, sometimes the disciples just get to experience more as they follow Jesus. Not necessarily pleasant in the moment, but they get to they they got a real knowing experience of Jesus working. It wasn't someone else's experience. They're like, that's really cool for them. It was, I got to experience that. I got to hear Jesus speak to me. You know, Matthew's account says that that Jesus even called Peter out. Mark doesn't mention that here. But he called even uh, Peter to come out to him on the sea when Peter walked. So they got to experience something that through their struggle, through their trial, that they never would have experienced about Jesus if it was just easy. And that's one way that we can relate to each other. I don't know you. We have different demographics and genders and cultures and ages and all those things. But one thing we can relate on is that all of us have gone through hardship at some point in our life. All of us. All of us in this room. And the same Lord, we have the same Lord. We have the same deliverer. We have the same redeemer. We have the same one who gets in our boat. Not when we're at our best. You know, sometimes we think that Jesus only wants to get in my boat when I'm doing really good. When I'm singing my hallelujahs and I am doing really good things for him. And then he's like, good job. Well done. But he gets in at the the gnarliest places so that what we can experience something of him that we wouldn't. Does it cost something to follow Jesus? Yes, it does. But is the reward, is the gain, is the inheritance far outweighing what we would ever give up? Yes and amen. Because even as I see the physical things, like in our context of Ethiopia with with orphan children, we are more like them than we are different. That's our story. That's our story. This is our orphanage. That's our home. We were adopted. The doctrine of adoption isn't just something that's ethereal and far away. It's actually real. Like we have an identity. We are co-heirs. We have an inheritance because of what Jesus did and us receiving that by faith, walking in that grace. So it's not, I got to be really good. And then Jesus throws me a treat. You know, I, I just, I just got to show up and I, and I sit and I'll spectate or I'll sing a few songs and that's good. And that's my box for the week. No, he wants to engage. But he doesn't promise these. It, it, look, look, look with me. There's no, there's no context here where there's ease in following him. So there is a cost. But again, the benefit. And then it's not only a personal benefit, because we have the, we have the luxury of reading through Acts. We have the luxury of seeing how Jesus is changing their lives pre-cross and post-cross. So it's not only for their benefit, because sometimes we're like, well, what did I get out of it? But then God can use that normalcy. Like Acts chapter 4 tells us what? 
oh, they realized that these guys were uneducated and untrained men. But then it says they, they realized they'd been with Jesus. Wow. That's powerful, right? So the world around us is suffering. We're suffering. Or we can go through hardship. But we just have something else to offer. We have something else to offer other than that temporary coping mechanism, whatever it is, whether it's a person, a thing, a vice. We can offer Jesus. But think of how would our testimony be if we didn't go through hardship, if we only went through ease, like, yeah, come to Jesus. Your life stinks. Mine's great all the time. I don't, I don't want to be. That's kind of how the, the religious leaders were of Jesus' time. Yeah, my, my life's very clean. I'm great. I fast twice a week. Uh, no. It's just like, thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, even as this tax collector. Yeah. So it keeps us humble. It keeps us dependent. And Jesus is always faithful to meet us in that place. You know, it says there, too, in verse 51, that he got in the boat. It's one thing to say, don't be afraid. Be of good courage. I'm here. It's another thing for Jesus to say, oh, you guys are afraid? Oh, you're tired? Let me just jump in. There's no, it doesn't tell us in the text whether he picked up an oar, but it does tell us that as soon as he got in, what happened? It's calm. Okay. It doesn't, is devalidate a word? It doesn't take away the validation of what they experienced. I think we got to acknowledge when people are suffering. But it does say that Jesus will be present. We can't promise that it'll be easy if someone else is suffering, if we're talking to someone. Someone couldn't say that to me. But even as sometimes I might like, uh, like just be upset, knowing that he's present encouraged, encouraged me. And I think that encourage can be an encouragement to others. He's present, guys. He's present. He gets in the boat with them at their end point. And in our case, as I mentioned, the example of our adoption, he got with, in the boat with me at my end point. And I'm like, I'm done. And that was our, that chapter. But then there's one thing I, I, I can't, I have to touch on because it's a really unique and interesting verse. And that's verse 52. Let's read it one more time. Okay. And then we'll wrap up. It says, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Okay. So just a little drop in there, a little asterisk by Mark. They had not understood. Um, In the Greek, 24 times this word is used, and in most cases, it's always meaning understood or understanding. But actually here, a better translation of the word may be to consider. Another word to say also for harden is dull. So you could translate it this way. They had not considered because their hearts were dull. Remember how earlier I talked about or used the kind of illustration of like, God does that for other people, but he won't do that for me. Like, or yeah, that's great for them. Like, we were part of that miracle, but I'm really tired. I just want to go to bed kind of thing. Where it's like, all those kind of things dull us, right? And we had to consider. And the thing that's important here is that 
in a biblical context, Old Testament and New, understanding does not happen here. Knowledge happens here. Understanding happens here. There's a relationship between here and here. You guys studied through Philippians, right? There's a relationship between this, right, where we consider. But when, when, when God came to King Solomon, the son of David, in the Old Testament, I mean, this is one of the epic things you read. He's like, Solomon, what do you want? Like genie in the bottle moment. Anything, name it. And Solomon, King Solomon, taking over for his father, who was, was unprecedented king, amazing king of Israel. He said, Lord, give me an understanding heart to rule your people, to govern your people. And God blessed Solomon with riches and prosperity and all of those things. And he also, by the way, was like the wisest guy on earth, the Bible t- tells us. He could like name every tree, every seed, every like, oh, this is what this is, and this is what this is. And people would be like, oh, this guy's amazing. But his prayer was for a wise and understanding heart to rule. And I, and, and I think that, that's a, that let these things be an example for us. Like, let us consider, Lord, what's, what, what's the condition of my heart, Lord, as I come to your word? What's the condition of my heart in this, in this suffering? You're the only one that could really move it and take it beyond its capacity or ability. But I just want to acknowledge what's the condition, Lord? What is there for me to consider in this? You know, what is there in this trial where it's like I'm struggling to wonder if you're good and I'm struggling to wonder if you know what you're doing? What is there for me to consider? And it says specifically that they had not understood about what had just happened. Now you're like, they just fed 5,000 people. They saw five loaves and two fishes feed thousands of people. How can they not understand? They were part of the miracle. It shows that we can be part of activity, but our hearts can also not be engaged. We can be part of the activity of, of doing the dutiful things without our hearts being engaged. And so what did Jesus want? What did he want in all of this? He wanted to give them a new experience. He wanted to take them through those things. But ultimately, what did he want from them and what does he want from us? Our heart. Our hearts. And so in all of this, his sending, him seeing, him coming, him speaking, and him getting in their boat. He wanted them to understand something about him. He wanted to give them experience that they would not otherwise have without that storm. He wanted to teach them something about what had just happened, that this isn't just the work of a miracle worker, but this is the work of the Lord himself. They worshiped him, it said in another context. So they worshiped him. But what also can keep me from worship? Philippians, right? Joy, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. What can keep me from joy? What keeps me from joy sometimes? It's the dullness, the dullness of my heart. Dullness of not considering. And I think part of it too, we can't, it's important, I want to leave this with you guys too. What had just happened? Now, earlier I'd mentioned the story. Okay, so what had happened in the previous chapter? Not of Mark, but in the disciples' 
they had just been a part of feeding 5,000. This new chapter, or present chapter they're in, is, in, is on the sea. And this is the point I want to leave with you guys. Is sometimes, in order for us to kind of persevere in the presence, which is actually a Christian virtue, it's part of like kind of the whole walking thing and following Jesus, so we've got to look back to the past. We've got to look back to when, God, like when God's working and that he has been faithful. 2 Timothy 2 says, Paul says to Timothy, even when we're faithless, he's faithful, right? So when has God been faithful to me? Okay, we're driving a car, right? We all have our cars, we're riding next to each other. When we look in the rearview mirror of our life, the mile markers that are standing there are what? God's faithfulness. Even before we knew Jesus, he, he protected me from that. He preserved me from that. Is there challenges? Is there suffering? Is there hardship? Absolutely. But when you're in the present, those things feel like mountains. But when you look back in the past, those things are significant, but they're not as big as when they were in the present. You see God's past faithfulness. You see that he's been faithful then. He's been faithful then. He's been faithful then. And when we understand that with our heart, then we're able to trust him in the present. God has always been faithful to me. His word tells me that he will, that Jesus in Hebrews says, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he is, according to Romans 8, working all things together for good, even if it doesn't feel like it. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying I always walk in that truth, but it's something for us, again, using the word to consider. Whatever I'm going through right now, Lord, whatever things are going on, there is a capacity of joy that, for you guys that were here during the Philippian study, that exists not because of my circumstances, that exists not because I'm a happy, jovial person, but that's actually something outside of myself that comes from you, that gives me reason to rejoice. So Lord, help me to consider. Help me just to consider. Consider what you've done in the past so that that way I can trust you in this present moment. I don't know where you guys are at, but Jesus does. Okay? So let me pray for you. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus, that you are writing our story. Thank you that we are not all at the same chapter. Thank you that none of us here are cookie cutters, copies of one another. That none of us look the same, that none of us dress the same, that none of us are the same age or same gender, that you uniquely created us to uniquely follow you, Lord. And so I just pray, God, that whatever chapter is being written in each life, Lord, that there would be a consideration of what you've done in the past to kind of propel, to keep us walking forward, to keep us following you, Jesus. But I thank you, Lord, that even when we're at the end, even if someone hasn't experienced that, and they will in the future, even when they're at the end, Lord, that you're still faithful, to get in the boat. 
that that's the time when you give them a new experience of who you are. And so, Lord, I pray, God, for anyone in this room that is going through the ringer, that is straining at rowing, that is exhausted, that is not feeling like you're good anymore or that you know what you're doing. They're dark. They're in darkness. They're alone. Um, I pray, Jesus, that you would meet them in a way that only you can. And I pray, Lord, for those who are here for the first time or those who don't know you, Jesus. They've never acknowledged or had the experience of you being Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in hearts now to usher people to Jesus, to usher people to the, their need for Jesus Christ, to deliver them, to bring them into true freedom. Every person in this room right now, Lord, needs you. So I confess that I need you, Jesus, and I confess that all of these people in this room need you. So none of us are without need of you, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that you know that. You're faithful to come to us, and you're faithful to get in our boat wherever it is on the sea. So we just commit ourselves to you, Lord. We want to see things through new eyes. Lord, we want to have joy where joy has been dormant and locked up. Help us to consider, Lord. Give us soft hearts again, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.